I got an opening question for you. It goes like this. How does God feel about his word? The most important word in that sentence for me, because I crafted the question, is feel. How does God feel about his word? Let me, let me illustrate what I mean. You're sitting at the lunch table today, and something uh, important, maybe it's about Father's Day, uh, comes to mind, and you want to share it at the table, and you start to share it, and then someone gets up and runs to the kitchen, someone else starts checking their phone, and somebody else interrupts and says, well, could you just pass the potatoes, please? How are you feeling? Not so good. When I'm at my worst, that's when I pout and Mary says, go ahead and tell us. And I go, no, not now. Because <laughs> my words weren't accepted anymore as important or valuable. Or what if you say something heartfelt that had a context around it that meant something positive and the world to you and it comes back to you later that somebody took a phrase out of what you said, recast it in a different context, and made it sound terribly negative. How do you feel about your words coming back to you that way? Don't you just feel the hair on the back of your neck stand up? And don't you feel so out of control because you, you had control when you said it, but it got recast out of your control and said something really entirely different from a different motive than you meant. See, you know how you feel about your words. How does God feel about his word? Let's participate. I'll just, just either raise your hand or just shout it out. Think of the Bible, okay? Think of the whole Bible and what, what uh, verses from the Bible you can think of where God says something about how he feels about his word or wants us to feel about it. Can you think of some for us? Do you have a Bible passage, Lana? Do you have a Bible passage? Okay. Okay, that's, that's a word from God, too. It's based on the word of God. Do you all know some passages? Go ahead. At the beginning of John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He wants okay. us to know that he is his word. Okay, I don't know if you can hear it all the way over here, so I'll just kind of repeat. John 1, the beginning of that gospel, the beginning was, this is the verse, beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Talking about Jesus as the very word of God, okay? Passages, Nathan. Okay, in Hebrews, the, the the writer says the word of God is living and active and powerful. Take it further, sharper. You know the verse. You're just being humble. Sharper than a two-edged. Goes way down into and and divides the intents of the heart for the person, right? and helps them discern if they have the word pierced into their heart. Great verse. Okay. Denise. Yeah. Isaiah 55. The word cannot come back to God void. It's like rain. The rain cannot hit the earth without us getting grass and tree, new tree growth. Right? 
the word, the word always accomplishes what God intends, he said in Isaiah 55. Think of this. In Genesis, it says God created the world in six nanoseconds, but that he spread it out over six days. And he did it by talking. It says the Lord spoke, boom, and there it was, right? Later in the Bible, he says, just like he spoke and there it was, he speaks Christ into your heart with words through the gospel. So there's a connection. Am I getting you to think of any other passages? Okay, go ahead, Judy. The banner up here, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. From Psalm 119, you guide me in my life with your word. That longest chapter in the Psalms, all it's an ode to the word of God. How does he feel about his word? He, he, it's, a, it's worth the longest chapter in the Psalms that it says it's a guide to my path. Okay? Yes? So, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the end of it. His word is above his name. I don't know that passage, but do you know that passage? You know, I'm not, I'm actually, by the way, if it's not in the past, it's, it's actually a Bible thought, right? So I'm not challenging you. I'm just like intrigued by that. His word is above his name. Okay. Uh, say that again. Ooh, I like that. Psalm 138. Okay. Verse 4. Let me, let me share a few other things about the word of God and his feeling. When Paul was dying, he, he was going to die by execution. He said to Timothy, stay in the word because it's able to make you wise for salvation. And it's profitable. It's God-breathed. And it's profitable for, for instruction and rebuke and correction and training and righteousness. So that the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped in their life for every good deed. So the word thoroughly equips people. God says that about his word. In, in John 8, Jesus had great success as a preacher having people believe what he said. And this is what he said when they were believing what he said. He said, if you remain in my words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 15, and the night before he died, he said, you are already, he's talking to the twelve. You're already clean from your sins because of the words I have spoken to you. In between, he says, John, uh, uh, there, uh, he was in his last year of his ministry, it's John chapter 6. Because of the words he was saying, a lot of people left him. And Peter and the boys were sitting around Jesus, and Jesus said, The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying for us, and he says, Lord, set them apart by your word. Your word is truth. John 10, scripture cannot be broken. Are we getting the feeling of what God feels about his word? Here's the deal. God is found in his word. Someone who's struggling with doubt or skepticism will say, I can't find God. There's so much evil in the world. There's so much trouble. I feel like my prayers bounce off the ceiling. I just can't feel. I don't. And God says, I'm found in the word. The resurrected Jesus, when he was walking, Luke 24, when he's walking on Easter Sunday with those two fellas, 
What did he do that shows you the, how he feels about the word? He hid his identity from them so they wouldn't go, wow! Instead, they would listen with their mind and believe in their heart all the prophecies all the way leading up to so they'd understand God from his word. That's how God feels about his word. Now, I could give you five, ten more examples, and I would love to do that, but we've got the point, right? So, is it any wonder that Jesus would tell us a parable about how God is, with the kids would say, stoked about his word? This parable is only found in Mark's gospel. It's very short, very similar to the parable of the sower that's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but this is only found in Mark. And it's a very short parable, and it's, and it's saying, God is saying, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is about the word being planted, and it works, and I'm, I'm excited about it. That's how I feel about it. I'm stoked about it. So I'm going to read it to you. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I would say this is probably for modern people that uh, you are, that I'm preaching to today, this is probably not the, um, uh, it's not your daily activity. How many of you have planted a seed intentionally in the last six months? So maybe roughly about 30% of you. Think of, think of the, agri the agricultural society that they were in. They didn't get their groceries from HEB. They could go down to the local market, but they'd see them growing on the hillsides in the little farms and the little house farms all around, and they'd have their own. So they knew more, a little bit more intimately, not completely, because like we just saw, lots of people plant stuff, and we know kind of basically how it works, right? But we, don't, we, don't, we aren't as intimately involved with it. If you have been involved with it, and some of you have recently, you get excited about doing that kind of gardening, whether it's flowers or fruit or vegetables or whatever. You like... I mean. It's a lot faster and probably cheaper just to go to H-E-B and buy your stuff, right? Maybe though it's not as fresh, maybe it's not as good, you'd rather grow your own, there's more reward in it. You are involved in the creative activity of the divine by gardening, putting a seed in the ground, watering it a little bit, and then watching it grow, and then marveling that a fruit comes up. Now, just today, Angela brought this as a gift to me, and she brought one for Chad, maybe for Pastor Herring, too. I don't know. Did you? Uh, these are growing, as she said, it's a volunteer. She, go, she lives right here and in this neighborhood, and she gardens. Um, but this came out of your compost pile. You put compost in your garden, and it, she, it volunteered up. And it's a, I, I, Angela, I went and looked it up before church. And it, it just, the pictures on Google Images just say it's a colorful two-tone pumpkin. <laughs> Does anybody know what we're supposed to call this? 
Looks like a squash, but they're all kind of the same family. But this, the, the, the astonishment is what I want to point out. She said, I want you to have this. I don't know how it happened. It just was in my compost pile, and here it is. And so I'm giving it to you. That astonishment is what Jesus is tapping into, but it's in a little bit different setting, context. He's saying that there's something wonderful in planting and gardening or farming about planting a seed and cooperating with the divine that created all this stuff, seeds and plants and food. Remember, that's part of the creation story. There's something wonderful. He, he, he plants the seed, Jesus says, and he goes away and works or sleeps or whatever, and all by itself, the earth produces a plant. And when it's all grown, then she cuts it off and brings it to the reverend. You get, the, uh, you get the excitement that, you know, you are so excited by your YouTubes and your movies and your Netflix that I'm, I'm afraid you're going to miss what Jesus is trying to say. There's something wonderfully exciting about planting and reaping. But he's talking about what it illustrates, which is God's kingdom that he creates by the planting of his word. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and the kingdom of darkness and the prince of the power of this air started his kingdom on earth, the devil. He came into the first two humans who were created in the image of God, and he, he, quote, he misquoted the word. He took God's words out of context, and he got Eve to sucker for it, and then he used her to get Adam to, with words to sucker for it. And so he brought the kingdom of darkness and an alliance with humanity into this planet and in walks God and God could have by the power that he used to create everything gone zzz, zzz, to Adam and Eve and everything else and said I'm going to start over but all of you and me we wouldn't be here because we were in their DNA and he would have wiped out humanity without redemption and so instead God spoke I will, with words, put enmity between you and the woman. He will crush your head, devil. You will strike his heel. The first gospel, right? And that promise Adam and Eve clung to. That's why they named Cain, Cain, although he was a big flop. Cain was, means favor. The Lord's favor has come. They thought maybe they've got the Messiah. Oh, man, they were way early, right? Jesus came thousands of years later. But people depended upon the word of God, and that word created faith. That's what the word does. Faith in the promises of God because his word is his person. That's why John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God's word is as good as his being. It's, that's where he's found, why he loves his word. And so he speaks a word, and they cling to it. And Israel has the word of God given to them. In Romans 3, Paul says, what advantage does Israel have? It's not their genetics. It's that they got the promises. They got the word of God. It created faith. It was preserved among them, taught among them. What a privilege. Not all races had that, but Israel had that. But Jesus is the Israelite to redeem all people and to blow this thing up and expand the kingdom to the whole world. And so he tells this little parable and he goes, the kingdom of God is like a man planting a seed. And it bears a fruit that has many seeds in it. 
one seed made this plant. She's gotten eight pumpkins out of it. Think of how many seeds are in here, right? That's the illustration. That's the wonder of the kingdom of God that's created through the word of God being planted in human hearts. And there's a little element in the parable that's supposed to get you excited about witnessing. He says, all by itself, all by itself it produces. The man does not know how. You know what our problem is? We overthink it too much. We think we need to know how. We think we need to know how logically God's going to work with that word. Or we think we've got to figure out a person before we just share the word with him. We don't have time to figure everybody out. We've got to just share the word. All by itself, it works. That word is law and gospel. God's standard, which confronts us, makes us realize our great need for redemption and grace and mercy, and the message that there really is grace and mercy. Did you know other religions have natural knowledge of God, so they have laws that are very close to the Ten Commandments? Yeah. That's the similarity between all religions. What they don't have, though, is the word of God, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. The scepter will not depart from Judah until he comes. He will come into Jerusalem on a donkey. He will be born in Bethlehem, <coughs> stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He, our, we thought we were being punished for, he was being punished for our, his own sins, but he was being punished for ours, Isaiah 53. That's the word of the gospel that the kingdom is built on, law and gospel. And when a person is sobered by the word of the law and forgiven and purified and released by the beauty of the gospel, it creates a love for God that makes you hate Satan and evil with a love for God reason. And it makes you part of the kingdom of the king of kings. How does it work? All we know is we take the seed and we plant it. Maybe water it. God does the rest. Stop overthinking it and plant more. If, if a mere pumpkin seed can make a plant that brings eight pumpkins to church, God's word planted in one heart can bring 80 people to the faith later. Daryl Windorski. I was a, an intern, a vicar, part-time before I left to be a vicar. <laughs> I was part-time at a church in Milwaukee. His wife begged me, come and talk to my husband, Daryl. We both got married at the church. We both have roots, but they're not very deep in Christianity and Christian faith. But he's smoking pot every day, and he's got a girlfriend, and I don't want to lose him, and I want him back. You come, vicar, and you talk to him. Does Daryl know I'm coming? No. You have to surprise him. Is he going to be mad? I don't know. Okay. I uh, caught Daryl at home when she wasn't there. She told me when she was going to be gone. She didn't want to be there to see sparks fly. And I confronted Daryl. I said, Daryl, you're, you know... Laura told me to talk to you. He's worried about your relationship with God, your relationship with her. Here, here's like the, the brave. He says, you smoke pot every day and you have a girlfriend. 
He goes, who the H-E-double-L let you in here? I said, you did. <laughs> well, who do you think you are that you can talk to me about this? I said, I'm just doing, trying to be the Lord's spokesman. I know this is hard for you and hard for me, but God doesn't want you to go down this path. He wants you to turn back toward him. He wants your marriage and your family to work, and he doesn't want you hurting your body the way that you are. And he goes, you know, I don't really want to talk about this. And he said, I, I'm done listening. And I said, I, I just, I, I understand that I'm leaving your house. God loves you. He cares about you. And also, you know that these things have to be straightened out. Thank you, sir. I left for my vicar year, 12 months away. I come back to my senior year. I'm like six months into that nine months at the seminary before they assign you. I get a call from Daryl. This is way before caller ID, way before cell phone. You got to pick it up when it rings. There's a voice on the other end. Don, this is Daryl. Oh. I need to meet with you. I'm thinking, oh, no, now I'm going to get, you know, it's going to be harder than the last time. What do you mean? I need to meet with you. Can you meet with me tomorrow? Walk in after school, yeah. So I drive down the south side of Milwaukee and sit down. And then he tells me the story about how mad he was at first, how he almost hit me, how the word that I'd spoken, which was so brief, had worked so hard on his soul. He tells me about events, about the, the, the man on the other side of the illicit relationship getting in a fight with him. He tells me about almost losing his wife and family and he tells me about coming back to church and talking to the pastor where I had been the part-time vicar. And he tells me that he's taken the newcomer's class. And he tells me that he's joined the church. And I went, oh, wow. Right? All by itself. Once it's planted, it goes to work. Not every story ends that way. Not every story is ended yet. Who am I to worry about that? Who are you to worry about that? There's a, there's a hymn in our hymnal that says, plant you the word and, 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 and I think it's the word uh, send it home. But it's talking, about, uh, it's talking about how the sower, anybody who sows the word of God, and the pastors are sowers of the word too, they sow the word of God recklessly like the parable of the sower that comes before this parable in Mark's gospel. And he goes, the, 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 uh, the sower when he sows the word cries out even though some falls on the path and some falls on good soil and thorns and rocks he cries out oh what of that oh what of that reckless abandon planting the word dropping bible seeds everywhere that's what jesus is trying to get us to do when he says this in the parables you know why because it works if god himself trusted that he could walk into the garden where the kingdom of darkness had built an alliance with Adam and Eve and break the back of the devil with just a promise. If God himself says that a word of forgiveness from the cross, it is finished, could cover all of our sins, who are we to think that the word is too weak to share? It will work on the hearts of people, but they need to know it. We gotta get it out of the book and into their hearts, and hello, newsflash, they're not reading it unless you help them get excited about reading it by sharing the word with them already.
The kingdom of God is like a man who plants a seed. Now we're moving to the second part of the sermon, but what Jesus is doing is he's trying to motivate us to get excited about partnering with him. He wants us to partner with him. I got to tell you a story about Daryl because I got, I got the opportunity and was pushed by a wife to partner with God, to be his mouthpiece. It's not always that hard or scary, is it? In fact, many times the recipient is just our little children. Why do we have Sunday school at all? It's so that as a church, we provide a teaching of the Word of God to get the stories in. Why do we do catechism? Why do we have Sunday Bible class? Why do we have online morning devotions? Why do we have small group Bible studies? Why do we do any of this? Why do we have a sermon in the middle of church like this? Because we believe it works and we're partners with God to spread His kingdom and this is how it works. It, it changes hearts and it changes lives. The law and the gospel. And Jesus is telling us this parable very simple, very memorable, so that it will walk with us into our everyday lives and make us share. So I have a challenge for you. If you could go to that last slide, Danny. Just, yeah, that one. One week, one verse, one person. What's my last one message, right? This week starting today, maybe tomorrow morning. For one week, believing that the word works for you, commit yourself, maybe at the beginning of the day would be best, to just five minutes, that's not very many, five minutes early getting up in the word. Maybe you'll do more, but commit yourself to five minutes looking for one passage that has one point or one message it doesn't have to be like earth-shattering, but it has a, a meaningful message from God's Word for you. And that you'll try to commit that to memory. If you can't memorize it, you'll write it down so you can look at it throughout the day. One, for one week, once a day, you'll do that with a passage. Because you believe the Word works even for you. Then, you'll commit yourself to sharing the passage with one person. Okay! If you want to make it easy, make it someone in your home or your family, and every day you'll be sharing a passage. But you don't have to make it easy. It's more fun to be a little more daring. And maybe someone's going to come up through a text or a phone call or an email that you'd share the passage with in a different way. But you'd say to God, I'm not going to cram it in. I'm not going to take it out of their context, out of my context, out of your context. I'm going to share your word the way you'd want it to, so show me how you want me to share that word. Go on the... Go, what I'm trying to get you to see is Jesus is telling us the parable so we'll become a partner with him. And if I can get you to think about doing it for one week, you'll think about doing it your whole life. So just for one week, do this. One verse, one person you share it with, and it has one main message, whatever that passage has. Lana said it well. When you wake up in the morning, think of something positive about Jesus and positive about yourself look for that kind of message you know there are passages that maybe you shouldn't just say that's the one I'm going to share today like Judas went out and hanged himself right or Jesus wept unless you want to talk about his love for us and weeping and being a part of our life
the greatest evidence to you that the word works, although you've got many outside of yourself, is your own heart. I've said this often, but I'm going to say it today, and I want you to know that I'm not just saying it again to be dead repetition. The reason you're sitting in this room right now at church on a Sunday morning to begin your week is somehow related to how the word has worked in your life. That you believe in your heart that there's something wholesome and helpful and good and right about hearing God's word is the reason that you're sitting here. It's worked in you. And you of all people know if you get away from it how aimless and confusing and difficult life can be. Well, if it works for you, Jesus says in the parable, it works for everyone. So don't lose faith in the word while you have faith in the God who's used his word in your life. Restore your faith in the word and boldly and faithfully Share it, plant it. And don't use any energy or stress worrying about how long it takes for it to work or how well it's going to work. If you flip to that last slide, please. If you learn to plant the word, like I would think that Angela is going to plant her compost for now on. Like, oh man, maybe some other plant will come up. You'll be happy. You won't be so stressed like it depends on you. Be happy. Be vigilant in planting the word. And be patient. It works. Sometimes it takes a lot longer, but it works. Amen. Amen.